from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Wow Report, where we count down the top 10 things of the week that make us go wow. Wow. Uh, I'm Fenton Bailey, co-founder of World of Wonder, joined by the inestimable. I'm just so impressed I could say that word. I, I was going to say, you had to We just stop everything after that. Just let us, <laughs> let us applaud. <laughs> the inestimable Tom Campbell, our chief creative officer. Hello, and- hello, hello. The lovely contrarian James St. James, editor of the Wow Report. Wait, he and I get I get contrarian. <laughs> you are infinite, James. There you go. How about that? Infinite. The infinite James St. James. And you know, let's just jump into the countdown. Number 10. Number 10. Monday, bloody Monday. What a week this has been in the show business, in the news business, in the corporate entertainment business. I will start with Jeff Schell, the story that's still coming, who was this big NBC Universal CEO who was let go overnight. No package, no severance. And they're still chipping away at what it might be. So I don't have much to comment with. It was a love affair, but it just seemed so drastic. Do you don't have any theory? There are theories I've been reading going around like, is it a Russian connection? But, you know, he was in a long-term relationship with a woman who was not going to be renewed. And then she made a complaint and it caused an investigation. And bad enough, he's been letting people go, Ron, my, all these other uh, people who've been let go for bad behavior while he's been presumably maybe carrying on just uh, as bad as them. I guess everyone thinks their love affair at the office is different. Okay. Also, and this is still happening and there's no joy in talking about this. Disney is letting so many people go. That How many? It's, it's like 3% of their workforce, which wow. is thousands of people. And I think there's still 400 more to go this week uh, or by the end of the today. And it's like, it's just in every department. Of course, Disney runs the world. So it's Hulu, it's Disney, it's, it's ABC, it's uh, Freeform. It's all these places. And, you know, I, I, I who knows, but it, it seems that streaming doesn't make money. Like they overspent on streaming and they're going to have to make up for it in every other way. You, you know, know, though, streaming does make money. It's just they overspent yes. in these billion dollar streaming wars. It, it's not that the model is wrong. But right. Anyway, sorry. And, and, and no, I'm there. You know, please. But, you know, and then there's the, all the optics of like, you know, uh, all these CEOs getting huge. I guess they get, they get shares and not the money, but like, it just seems like it seems like a bad time to be a worker. But wait a minute, isn't aren't the big stories still to come here? And the big stories to come, and the juicy ones where there's not a lot of sympathy for the the, the people, is that within an hour on Monday, and and James St. James was all over this with me on on on, on uh, text. Is is Tucker Carlson canned Friday on his show? He's eating pizza. Say, see you Monday. Canned out. Goodbye. And then within the hour, Don Lemon, CNN, canned, out, goodbye. Now, do you think that Don had it had already been planned that Don was being fired and it was just a coincidence? Or do you think they said that we're going to fire Don right now so that he it can sort of go under the radar as everyone's freaking out about Tucker? 
I think it was uh, a, an unhappy coincidence for both men. I feel like the shit hit the fan. I mean, they've been after Don Lemon for many reasons. It's amazing, even his response and Don Lemon's response to his firing and saying it was a shock to him. He didn't know about it. Uh, CNN came out with another tweet that sort of said, yeah, he was aware of it. We asked him to talk about it, and he just lied not to. He went to tweet. But oh, right. He was invited to the meeting, and he said no. He seems very victim-y. Just, I don't know. I, I, it feels like he's reacting in real time. He may regret some of the stuff. Who's going to hire Don Lemon? I mean, I did spend lockdown, COVID, and the Trump administration watching Don Lemon almost every night, so I feel a little disloyal. But as well, soon as they took him off of that and put him in the morning show, he became kind of ratings-wise and profile-wise invisible. And but you know when Chris, um, uh, who is the guy that Cuomo, was, Chris Cromo was gone, I thought that Don would probably be gone too because he was. They were so connected. I um I sort of wonder if Tucker probably has the better options. Where Tucker mm-hmm. is going to start a Joe Rogan like you know um, podcast and make billions on his own, or or is he going to run for office? I have a feeling that the. That the the MAGA people will rally behind him in a way that Democrats do not rally behind Don Lemon. Why cares about Don Lemon? Did they let him go? We know that Fox is just happy to pay out tens of millions of dollars, even hundreds of millions, in settlements. They've done it before, but they aren't doing it with him. What's different this time? Exactly because they have they have um, intel on him. They have. He they did it. He did it for a reason. They fired him for a reason. I do you know what it is? Well, I think it's the um, Abby Grossman. I think it's the sexual harassment, like they did with Robert. Right, but they settled many other. Right, but why not just settle this the way they've settled the others? I think uh, it's there's all these redacted texts from the Dominion lawsuit, and like the rumor is that he says really awful things about the Murdochs in the redacted texts. So. And they were like, well, thanks, pal. <laughs> James, you you brought up the idea on Monday that scared me to death, which is that he could run for president. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, you know how crazy the his fans are. Then there, you know, it's funny that the that I the anti-cancel crowd is canceling Fox. You know, we're t- deleting the app from our, our <laughs> cell phones. Well, they didn't have the app. These people don't have apps. It's it's all performative. But I do have a feeling that his options are probably... There was an he onion... He has enough money to go and do whatever he wants. Yeah. There's an onion um, uh, cartoon or whatever about... Uh, people shooting their televisions because Fox is <laughs> the way they shot Bud Light. We're shooting up our TVs because they took that. I love that. Um, and of course, just to also say in this kind of shakeout, the paper magazine, the, the downtown publication for decades just ceased publication this week. Uh, first time I ever had a byline. The first thing I ever had published was paper magazine, 1987. I did an interview with uh, the author of fabulous nobodies. Lee Tulloch, mm-hmm. and it was the first time I ever had anything, and I was—I felt like I was Norman Mailer. I just—you could—I was on top of the world. Um, yeah, so very yeah. sad. Well, um, what's the final takeaway on this? Do we think? Thank God we have our jobs. <laughs> <laughs>
Giants, yes. Exactly. Well, I do think there's more to come to, though, with both um, CNN and Fox. I mean, I have a feeling there that there's some others. They said that Janine Pirro was going to be gone and Maria Bartiromo, but that hasn't happened yet. But I would like to see them gone before the Smartmatic trial. Well, you can read more about this on the WOW Report. Uh, let's go on to number nine, James. Number nine. I watched a series on Netflix, How to Get Rich. I don't know if you guys have seen this, if you know what it is. It is, um, Blake, you watched it, didn't you? I did. I Blake need to get rich. It. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm not I, I, thought, I thought, oh, how can I? I need to get rich, too. I need to figure this out. Um, it's hosted by a guy named Ramit Sethi. I don't know if you know who this is. He is one of the handsomest men on <laughs> the planet my god and he talks with his hands and he's just got these hands that you just want to lick hairy 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 hands that are just fantastic um each episode uh sort of is around it centers around a person who's having some financial problems or a couple who is not you know discussing their financial problems and he goes in and tries to help them um and the advice is pretty standard don't spend more than you make um put money into a 401k uh sometimes renting is better than owning but i mean it's nothing you don't really know i thought that was interesting that some because you i feel like you've grown you're grown up and everyone saves for a house yeah you know and sometimes, what did he call it? Like your your rich life. That's what you uh, call like yeah, what it, it means for you to be. A different idea of what being rich is, and you have to sort of define it for yourself. Blah blah blah. But like I said, the only reason to really watch it is because he's insanely hot, and you he wears these outfits, these stealth wealth outfits that we have talked about time and time again. Everything he wears is in a co- is in a variation of sandstone and cement they're all these sort of like rock colors and everywhere he goes Blake do you notice every room he walks into he matches like they I don't know how they do it but they just he goes to someone's house and he like just he he like blends into the house well it's not hard to match when you look like a rock (laughs) <laughs> you know well, he, but he's got that gray hair the the gray white hair salt and, and pepper. he's just yeah with salt and pepper but just these outfits um uh oh and then but the favorite <laughs> the best person was the that woman natalie dahan oh my god oh my god there's this rich beverly hills woman <laughs> who has no concept of money whatsoever and she gets like thirty two thousand dollars a month from her husband to uh for clothes and she spends like she's like i spend a half million on my jewelry every month you know like she's just one of those really out of touch beverly hills women and he's trying to get her please understand just the core you know you're going broke you have like money to last for like two months like what are you going and she just she is so fabulous and she drives around in what was it was was like a ferrari yeah, and just these outfits and her hair. She's just wonderful. She's she she needs a show of her own. But clueless. So does this does this show tell you how to get rich? Well, that's what I was just saying. Like the I like the the advice is very, you know, talk to your partner about your your you know, your your money situation. Be, people who like, you know, don't talk to the, their wives about it or if give you their husband. En- if you enjoy Susie Orman, you'll enjoy this. Exactly. Love there's, there's... Susie Orman, yes. But and you want to get rich, basically. 
Yeah. The, the, and there's also a problem because they keep in bringing on new people and then they don't go back and, and do the old people anymore. You don't really know how they are until the very, very end. I do wish it was more like this episode is this person. This episode yeah. is this person. Yeah. Yeah. But would recommend. But he is he is a superstar. Ramit Sethri. Sethi. Mm-hmm. Ramit mm-hmm. Sethi. Yes. So that's How to Get Rich streaming on Netflix. Number eight. Number eight. I saw a documentary um, that everyone who's seen it loves, and I am no exception. Little Richard, I mm. am everything. Lisa Cortez directed this documentary. Have you have, have either of you seen it? No. no, but I love Little Richard. I love everything about him. Oh my gosh. I realized how little I knew about him. Um, Tom, you probably know all this, but you know that he emerged for, he sort of went on tour on the on the chitlin circuit right and that he you know this where there was a tradition of loud suits and pancake makeup and pencil mustaches which john waters says his pencil mustache is tribute to little richard I love that right and that little richard just actually on this chitlin circuit performed in drag was a drag act has was always openly gay and even though he came from this sort of recognized visual tradition of the big suits and the the makeup he was just louder and more you know out there than anyone else i also did not know and i'm sure you both knew this that tutti fruity is a really rude song it's <laughs> the original lyrics which i looked up on google is that tutti fruity good booty if it don't fit, don't force it. You can grease it, make it easy. <laughs> I just have led such a sheltered life. But it made <laughs> me think that the, the truth is that so much of popular culture comes from, oh, you know, queer filth. And that's not a judgment. That's like joy. It's just j- queer joy. Well, sadly, though, didn't he, after he found religion later on and he sort of renounced his homosexuality and all of that, it, it, it takes yeah. a lot of, a little bit of the joy out of it, doesn't it? There's a couple of ups life. and downs. He went to sort of Bible. He had a, on the plane to Australia, it sounds like he had, well, you, some would say a vision. He thought angels were holding up the plane. <laughs> Others would say psychotic break. Went to Bible college, renounced his music as the devil's music. But then, after a couple of years of that, and he got married, actually. And after a couple of years of that, went on tour to the UK and just brought the act out of the closet again. Just did it over. Was huge and played with, introduced or on the same bill as the Beatles. And then he went with the Beatles to... um, Hamburg and the Beatles was like totally influenced and blown away by him as were the Rolling Stones and in this documentary you've got Paul McCartney you've got Mick Jagger I mean amazing. he is I don't know what if they call him the father of rock and roll but he is yes and sir. even the uh, Boz Lerman Elvis movie helps to contextualize that because even Elvis was wearing makeup and stuff and it was from Little Richard and that ilk of uh of music and I'll just say growing up Watching the watching the Mike Douglas show and the Merv Griffin show when 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 people were kind of washed up like Little Richard was a little bit washed up he was on always like I I invented that 
I invented that. He was Prince before Prince. He was Elvis before Elvis. He, he was so influential. And he did have a religious dip, but he did come back. He loved the attention. And I was able, when I worked in the Dolly Parton Variety Show years ago, when I used to go and watch on Friday nights, he was a guest. And he did his original music, and it was yeah. a joy. I mean, he's just, he's such a pioneer. I do want to say that the Baz Luhrmann um, Elvis thing, there is that moment where um, Elvis walks into the room and the little Richard is playing and you see Elvis, the wheels spinning in his head and he's sort of realizing that this is, we needs to be ripping off. But in that 10 minute section where little Richard is, is playing, I remember thinking to myself, there needs to be the little Richard movie. That, Absolutely. There needs to be the biopic. And this maybe is the first step towards that to get that documentary and get people buzzing yeah. because he, nobody, nobody could perform like little Richard in the 1950s and 60s. And right. 70s. I, I really, you know, I'm so ignorant. I know, but I really had so little idea and it's, it was just, it just filled my heart with joy. I mean, sadness too, because, you know, like many artists of the time, he's completely ripped off by the record companies. Yeah, ripped off. No royalties, you know. Um, Victim of racism, of homophobia, yes. of all those things. Absolutely. Yeah. They make Pat Boone, they would make Pat Boone cover his songs. And I think he said that, you know, Pat Boone sold more copies of his singles than he did. Um, Tootie Broody. I, I, a couple of things he said that I'm sure you've heard. You know, I'm not conceited. I'm convinced. I love that. Um, I am the originator. I am the emancipator. Yes. And there's there's a lot of wise people in this in Lisa Cortez's documentary. I love. Um, one person said it just really made me tear up. One one interviewee said, um, "I don't see the end as the only place where meaning resides." In terms of assessing his contribution, you know, so often people are judged on their last act. And I just love that. I thought, you know, it's a whole life. It's a whole body of work. But and is then there was- though, Is it? Because sometimes we just remember those, that fat Elvis and we remember, you know. <laughs> fat Elvis underestimated. Than- Power to fat Elvis. And the other thing was, um, because, you know, he, he, he did come out of a, a scene where there were other people who had a pencil massage, who, you know, but they said it, it, it the interviewee said, this was another case of witness, of mirrors who come into your life to show you who they are, to show you who you are. The idea that inspiration, James, rather than just someone ripping someone off, the sort of divine spiritual thing whereby a mirror comes to you and you... Uh, you rec- <laughs> just, you recognize yourself. Every in- time everyone has ripped me off over the years, I'm supposed to say that's a divine mirror showing well, my own wonder. Lady Gaga looked in the James St. James mirror. <laughs> and- like <laughs> she has $10 billion and I've got nothing. I'm, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for the old fat James St. James era. It hasn't happened yet. I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting. For oh, it. girl. <laughs> Run, don't walk to see Little Richard. Um, it's uh, available for rent and on demand currently. I'm sorry. I was just being contrarian there. I'm very sorry. <laughs> I can't help love you. Well, what's new? <laughs> <laughs> Ripple's Drag Race All Stars 8 premieres May 12th on Paramount Plus and WOW Presents Plus. See which queens will be sashaying back into the work. Come on the WOW Report and meet all of the Ra- RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars 8 queens 
at Dragon May, what is it, Blake? 12th, 13th, I think. May 12th yes. and 13th, yes. Get your tickets at rubblesdragon.com. We'll be right back. It's a Friday and Saturday this year instead of Saturday and Sunday. Be, mark your calendars. I was very confused about that. This no, way that James is... can go to church on Sunday because <laughs> he complained last time. <laughs> We've always yeah. found that the Sunday was a little bit jade. <laughs> well, only because people had been partying all night Thursday, all night Friday, and all night Saturday, and then had to get up at 7 a.m. to put their drag on That's to come for, Yeah. So okay, the hard. information box, the suggestion box is here, James. Don't air your dirty laundry here. We have the suggestion box. You can drop that in. Blake, do you have a question for us? I sure do. I sure do. Um, what is the difference between modern and contemporary art? Oh. All right, uh, we'll have the answer for that right after the break here on The Wow Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. And welcome back to The Wow Report. It's Fenton here with Tom and James, St. James, and of course, Blake. You're listening to The Wow Report. Blake, um, what was the question? What is the difference between contemporary and modern art? I think modern art is now an actual period of time and contemporary art is whatever is happening right now. So I think modern would be like 1950 to 1970. I think, I think anything 20th century is modern art. But there is a cutoff date for modern art because if there wasn't, you couldn't have postmodern art, right? You're right. So Blake, hit us. What's the answer? Now this comes from the Encyclopedia Britannica, okay? Oh, that's true. Uh-huh. Modern art is that which was created sometime between the 1860s, some say the 1880s, and the late 60s. The first impressionist show, yes, in 1882. (laughs) And the late 60s, some say through the 50s. Art made thereafter is considered contemporary art. And art was called modern back then because it did not build on what came before it or rely on the teachings of the art academy. So I learned modern. something today. Thank you, Blake Jacobs. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. <laughs> well, actually, this is a perfect segue into number seven. Number seven. Yep, I'm going to take this one over, if you don't mind, Tom. And Please. I'll have. I actually have some questions for you okay. in a bit. Um, I just went on, a, or I've been on a museum crawl for the past month. I talked a little bit about going to Crystal Bridges in Northwest Arkansas in Bentonville last week, um, but it was kind of sh- overshadowed by my crazy weekend where a car ran into my house. Um, but they had a Diego Rivera exhibit there that was really cool. I didn't really know much about him. I really enjoyed the murals and all of that. They also had some of um, Frida Kahlo's pieces just like two or three we did that exhibit i unfortunately didn't get to do their um modern art exhibit which is just i think all the art that the waltons own because i found out about the big john boy was a very big collector of jasper johns i don't know if you know that (laughs) well speaking of jasper johns (laughs) i did see some of his pieces this past weekend at the broad which I've never oh. been to before. Have you guys been? I've been to the Broad. I love. I, I the don't broad. know why do we call it the Broad and not the Broad? Because it's named after a person whose last name is Broad. I guess that's a good reason. 
the Broad family. Yeah, I, it was very Fenton. I enjoyed all the like Jeff Koons pieces, like the Michael with bubbles. That was wild to see in real life. What's the Lady Gaga line? The Coons is me. What is it? I am the Coons. Yeah. (laughs) And they had the big tulips. You know, they're huge. And they just have art by everyone. That was a really cool museum. Next week, or this weekend, this coming weekend, I'm going to Mr. Brainwash, which... Good, good. um, Tom, you talked about a little bit. What can I expect... I had the best time there. It's, you know, it's this whole idea of museum as experience. The Broad's kind of like that in a very classy way, but it's like the building and the experience and the layout is almost as exciting as the art, or the art's incredible collection. And uh, I think uh, Mr. Brainwash, there's no preparation. Just go enjoy. It, It could feel overwhelming, but I don't think it will. It's just a feast for the eyes and the soul. And they have little rooms and there's like areas where you can just, go down like an, a, a, a mirrored hallway and it's like the most fun I've had, you know, <laughs> with my clothes on forever. And it's just, so, so go ahead. It's all his work, right? It's Mr. Brainwash's work, right? Absolutely. His, absolutely. His, but there's all these interactive things. a lot things. of like, uh, you know, pre-Raphaelite paintings that are graffitied over, you know, or like, yes. you know, old masters that he paints Puts, big little things. Or put Star Wars characters in. Oh, right, a, yes. There's a mountain of, of boom boxes that creates this incredible sculpture. There's a basketball signed by Kobe that is the size of a room. I, I mean, there's no sort of limit to the imagination. It's really exciting, I think. Never mind what Lady Gaga says about Coons. I was giving a class at, at Columbia Graduate uh, Film School, and they oh. said to me, what is the future? And I said, the future is a remix. And I just thought that was so clever. I, I, just, I just wanted to quote myself here if I may. <laughs> exactly. But Lady Gaga, let me when I was teaching at Columbia, <laughs> the most wonderful thing. <laughs> well, why not- are you teaching at Columbia and why are you just mentioning this now? Because it just felt opposite. Uh, to, to talking about Mr. Brainwash in the museum because the museum you, is a remix, right? It's a the, mashup. Did the students have to buy a book? Yes, they did. As a matter okay. of fact, they, yes, no admission without a copy of Screen Age. That's right. Required reading. Well, I loved about the Broad that you, when you were exiting the museum, you of course exit through the gift shop. But on the way to the gift shop, you go down these stairs, and you can see in windows like all the other paintings that they have in storage. Yes, oh, fun. Yes, that was really cool. And I also just want to mention there's this really cool hotel in Bentonville right next to Crystal Bridges called Hive Hotel that was kind of like an art exhibit in itself so that was really cool too I love your embrace you're embracing your your art journey because you know we all live in like we live in beautiful cities visit beautiful cities with incredible museums and so rarely go so good for you for for Mm -hmm. actually getting it done Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I tell you the most underwhelming museum I've been to in years and years and years? The Academy Museum. My Dang God it. in heaven, it is so dull. You took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, I am shocked. It I was like, of all the things, you could have gotten Debbie Reynolds costumes. You could have done all sorts of things. You could have had sets that uh, all you have is a bunch of TV monitors with people's talking heads and TV monitors telling you, like, showing you videos. A lot of it also is very scolding that you walked in and there was a big, um, there was the the exhibition was that the art of the backdrop and the backdrop they had was Mount Rushmore. 
So I get to think, I get to read this about the painted backdrop of Mount Rushmore, and then it immediately starts in about how offensive Mount Rushmore is, which yeah, I'm not saying that's not true, but it's like, it's a feel-bad museum in some respects. And mm. it's such a shame because I we I waited for it for so long, and the architecture is, the, you know, it's the Death Star. It's so amazing. It's so beautiful to look at. You just, they could have had someone, they could have done so much, and they just did not. It seems like a great place to have a Hollywood soiree, but they haven't figured out. The art of the motion picture has yet, a museum of the art of the motion picture has yet to be fully realized. It's true. It's true. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Um, number six. Number six. New York Magazine went bananas this past week with their It Girl cover story. They came up with 10 different covers of It Girls throughout the year. Edie Sedgwick, Baby Jane Holzer, Grace Jones, Bianca Jagger, Tina Chow, Carolyn Bessick, Chloe Sevigny, all these fabulous people. The more there were, there were a couple. There Corey Corey Kennedy, I think. Um, Diane Brill. Well, no, Diane didn't get one. So her Diane's fans created a cover for her. <laughs> she has been posting online. But I'm just going to tell you all the people they interviewed. They got interviews with people that were just an unbelievable. Bianca Jagger, Marissa Berenson, um, Jane. Uh, uh, a, a bunch of Ally McGraw, a bunch of people that don't usually talk about their time as an it girl all talked about it. I'm just going to go through the the 30s, 40s, 50s was Gloria Vanderbilt, Brenda Fraser, a bunch of those. The 60s, Edie Sedgwick, Jane Forth, Ally McGraw. The 70s, Bianca, Diane Von Furstenberg. They talked to Diane. They talked to Pat Cleveland. They talked to Marissa Berenson. Advige, who, Advige, who we love but passed away. The 80s, Elizabeth Saltzman, Diane Brill, Cornelia Guest, Cookie Mueller, who's passed away, Lisa Edelstein, Tina Chow, Debbie Mazar, and Connie Fleming. God bless Connie. I love that they included her. The 90s no, was more... What about Sally Randall? Because no they Sally were... Randall. I'll talk. We'll talk about the people okay. they left off in a couple seconds. But the okay. '90s was Kumarly Simmons, Marie Chantal of Greece, Genitalia, Jenny Dembrow, Chloe Sevigny, Carolyn Bessett, Cameron Kennedy, Lizzie Grubman. The Kimora '90s was Simmons. Kumarly said, "Well, she was an it girl when she was a model before she was she was um, Lagerfeld's muse before oh. she married uh, Russell, um, uh, Nikki Hilton, Olivia Palermo, Tinsley Mortimer." A bunch of these people. The people they forgot are interesting. Terry Toy, Amanda Lepore, mm-hmm. which seems a little transphobic not to include two very famous transgender women. Um, Kat Marnell was not left, was not on it, and she was a little upset about it. She was tweeting about it. Julie Jules was not on it. I would have had Pat Ast and Sylvia Miles from the 70s. They were not on it. Um, but it's interesting. Everyone had... they. Everyone talks about their time. It's just a fascinating article. If you've ever, if you're a history, if you're a nightlife history buff, it's it's fascinating. Why couldn't James St. James be considered a famous? Well, I girl? wonder that too. I <laughs> put she, me in a dress and call me an it girl because he's a celebutant. It was very different, <laughs> very different. But I'll tell you, Lisa Edelstein did spend most of the time talking about me and how I I created her out of clay. Well, That's wonderful. What a, you mentioned Nikki Hilton, but Paris Hilton wasn't there. Well, that's just that's the tea, isn't it? That they went for Nikki and over Paris. Were they it girls of New York? Because I'm thinking, like, right. was Eleanor Glenn on the list? No, that that's interesting because I, um, you know, Eleanor Glenn, Charles Dana Gibson, Mrs. Charles Dana Gibson, Irene Castle, who invented the the Bob the the, the Bob her hair in the 19 teens. Um, 
all of they they were not mentioned. Um, also, um, uh, who I mean, was, Eleanor Glenn invented the it girl, the term. Yeah, she was Hollywood, though, I guess. Um, I was thinking, who was the girl in the red velvet swing? Clara who, Bow. Uh, they did mention Clara Bow, yes. Um, but red velvet swing. Um, uh, if you want to get into deep shit as quickly as possible, create a list. Because <laughs> you will inevitably purposely or not oftentimes not leave somebody out and then who is the celine dion of this list you know what i'm saying the celine was not part of the best voices rolling stone issue which is insane so um, evelyn nesbitt evan evelyn nesbitt yes evelyn nesbitt was the original it girl in the 19 teens and if you recall she was every um she was every french postcard she was every model for every uh statue every she was in every perfume ad in the Collier's magazine and then she married the millionaire um uh Shaw I can't remember his last name and he, she was having an affair with Stanford White the great architect who created you know Penn Station and Washington Monument and he went to um uh the Ritz there was a nightclub on the on the roof of the Ritz and he went with a gun and he shot Stanford White and killed him and it was the biggest trial of the century because she, you know, she had star inflamed the passions of these two men. Mm. And um, uh, Joan Collins played her in the movie. <laughs> and um, but she was the original it girl, and there's no mention of her. Mm. She needs a movie of herself, though. Evelyn Nesbitt. That's New York Magazine celebrates hundred years of it girls. Number five. Number five. I saw a great movie. Tetris, the story of Tetris. Now, you would think, I mean, you know the video game, invented in 1988, one of, I guess, therefore, one of the earliest video games, I think sold something like 500 million copies in its 40-year, almost 40-year history. But did you know, and I did not, you know, if you if you play Tetris, there's these sort of, um, oh, you know, what's that thing oh, in most... Well, like blocks that you try. Yes, and... there's blocks, but the background is red square. It's those turrets in 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 red square, and the yeah. it was. And the reason for that is it was invented in Russia by a Russian, and actually he didn't get paid for it. He just invented the game and passed it around. It became so addictive that the Communist Party banned it because it was harming productivity. And yeah. this was also. In a documentary, There's a documentary <laughs> right. that they did, and they somehow you don't really the person who invented it doesn't get credit, which I'm sure this movie's about, right? Yeah, the, there's a the documentary is called uh, Tetris from Russia with Love. You can actually stream the documentary on YouTube. It was made in 2004, but this movie just came out, starring Tara Egerton as the guy who is at the Vegas show. Uh, in 1988, he's trying to launch a video game, which is awful and not doing well. It's called like Go Go or something. And he stumbles upon Tetris. And this begins his bid to secure the rights. And what is so great about this movie is that, yes, on the one hand, it's the story of, of him trying to get hold of the rights to Tetris, which would be, you know, the golden ticket. But it's also the story of the collapse of Russia and the end of the Cold War. And it is also the story of the Maxwells, the mirror, the sort of evil media baron, sort of uh, rival of Rupert Murdoch, 
who ultimately went bankrupt and came undone. But they too were in this scramble for the rights to Tetris because it would be the one thing that could possibly save them from complete bankruptcy and despair. And so it's this really, actually, it's like a sort of multi-level game, the way the movie plays out. You've got everybody going to Moscow to try and secure the rights because what might seem like a very dry thing about business rights and contracts is that what happened is that the people who thought they had the rights to Tetris didn't actually ever secure the rights. And they subcontracted them to Robert Maxwell, and but he also didn't have the rights. And the guy who thought he had secured the rights was suddenly, I'm totally fucked. But then he realizes that something's off and he goes to Russia, finds the guy who invented this game and secures the rights. And the thing that saves him is he's, he tries to get the handheld rights as opposed to the console rights and the computer rights. He goes for the handheld rights because Nintendo are about to release a Game Boy. This is the brand new thing. And he's like, if I can get the handheld rights for the Game Boy, it will make me, but it will also make the Game Boy. I mean, it's just, and it's this sort of, it could seem a little dry and I'm sure I'm not giving doing it justice, but it is this fabulous story that is played out against the collapse of Russia. And you've got shady KGB people trying to line their pockets and take advantage of the situation. And you've got this clash well, of beliefs, you know. I guess what would sweeten the pot here for me hmm. is uh, how hot Taron Egerton is in this. Very hot. I was going to say yeah. a shower scene with Taron Egerton. That, yeah. That's what I thought. Also, it seems to be on IMDb that the guy who plays uh, Alex um, uh, Maxwell, the Maxwell's son. Oh, yeah, Maxwell's son. Yeah. 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 Okay. okay. He's, he, yeah. Yeah. And I think you'd even have a thing, James, for the dour uh, Soviet. Um, guy who invents the game. Okay, I think you would, okay. you would find him a bit of a smoldering, sort of unlikely but hot sort of character. Now, is somebody who knew Robert Maxwell? Oh, I thought you'd you never say anything. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I'm wondering what your take on the actor is. Seeing the you actor playing Robert Maxwell is spectacular. Roger Allen is amazing. Okay. He has the accent down because Robert Maxwell did have this extraordinary accent that was very English. But he made it up, didn't he? Did yes. He? yes. Sort of inauthentic, but very English. And inherent in his accent was a kind of put down or a bullying or a hectoring or sort of threatened menace. It was a booming voice and it was designed to wrong foot you and make you piss your pants with fear. And, sort of um, like an Orson Welles type, like what there you go. did to uh, American accents. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, really recommend it. It's streaming on Apple Plus. Tetris. Uh, we keep saying it. It's important. Drag performers in the LGBTQ plus community are facing threats across the country. World of Wonder, RuPaul's Drag Race, and MTV are proud to donate to the Drag Defense Fund uh, to support the ACLU's work to fight for the protection of drag and LGBTQ rights. You can learn more and donate at aclu.org slash drag defense, exclamation point. Hallelujah. Yeah, yeah. They're doing really well, apparently. It's oh, raising, raising a lot of money. Um, let's take a break, Blake. 
I've got a question. You'll never believe what pop starlet I had dinner with Sunday night. <laughs> you had met Lady Gaga. No, we'll have the answer right after the break here on the Wow Report. I am really just not on my game. If everyone has these these things to drop, I need to go out and start living. I'll tell you. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. And welcome back. Fenton here with James and Tom and Blake. Counting down the top 10 things of the week that made us go wow. Yeah, but first I asked, guess which pop starlet I had dinner with on Sunday night? I think it's got to be um, uh, Sia and Carol Bayer Sager. (laughs) So good. I'm going to say Kim Petras. Probably. That's my guess. Well, it wasn't really that I had dinner with her, but she was at the table next to me. (laughs) That counts. And it wasn't just someone who looked like her. It really was her. It really was her. And we didn't even know until this group of gaggle of girls ran up and was like, we're a big fan of you. So we turn around and it's none other than Lana Del Rey. Oh, you oh, must have died. I did. I was like, no, I didn't oh. say anything to her, but we did make eye contact when I was leaving. So that because that is your your she was very dressed down with her new boyfriend who was super hot and he changed his shirt at the table before oh. she got there. Oh. Um that's how we noticed this table <laughs> full of hot straight men. And then Lana Del Rey showed up just wearing like a oversized uh, gray sweatshirt, and that, but that's what you want her in. It is. Yeah, she was in the background of one of our photos that we didn't even know because we were there celebrating my friend Michelle's birthday. But mm-hmm. I'll show you guys. Excellent. All right, let's carry on counting down. Reach number four. Number four. The legendary Harry Belafonte left Earth. Oh and went to the great beyond this week. I'm not going to pretend that I know everything about Harry Belafonte. He's always been part of the culture and he has always proclaimed that he's not an artist who became an activist. He's an activist who happened to be an artist. And, you know, you hear the tributes to him and he was best friends with Martin Luther King. And he was there in 63 at the March on Washington. And he made sure that the, that the King family had life insurance. He helped make sure that the, you know, the King's, were set up financially following his assassination. Um, he also was a huge movie star. He was in the World War II, and he's one of the most beautiful. James and I were talking about this briefly. I mean, we could just sit here in silence and think about how beautiful he, he was. Really, well, I mean, like there has now. I mean, like mm-hmm. he must have just been a shot in the pan, a kick in the pan <laughs> to uh, America in the 1950s. To see that on the screen, to see this gorgeous yeah. black man who was just, I mean, you had Sidney Poitier around that time as well and Sammy Davis Jr. and everything, but Harry Belafonte was, and, and he had the hit songs, the Deo. Well, the, that's the part that, that I've been listening to on my, on my, on my drives to and from work. Because of course you know that song, you know, Deo, Deo, Deo. And also the song from um, um, Beetlejuice which is like jump the line, which is that one that they all like, you know, magically have to dance to. It's a great song. Um, I think I'm going to get it for lip sync for drag race, but 
he in 1956 57 after after he'd already established himself as quite a, a prominent movie star again amazing that a black man was a movie star in the 1950s he did the calypso album because he's he was born in harlem but he grew up in the in the bahamas and it was number one the album was number one for 31 weeks it was a cultural shift like every, you know this is the time when we had sort of one pop culture for the most part. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it just burst onto the scene and made such a deep impression. And if you, if you get nothing else from this show, do yourself this favor, go online or go to the wow report, you know, um, uh, Africa. What was the, we are the world, which was. Oh, um, that that was the American version. Yes. Mm -hmm. But artists for Africa, whatever it was, he put that together. He was the person. He's actually there for the singing of it. We are the world. We are the children. There is a documentary made about it, and there's an excerpt online. This is an old documentary that Jane Fonda narrates. And toward the end of the night, they were all there, you know, in the middle of the night, four hours after the American Music Awards. The biggest stars in all of music then and today, Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen, Dionne Warwick, you know, Kenny Rogers, Little Richie, Smokey Robinson, they break into Dale. And there is a three-minute superstar sing-along in the presence of Harry Belafonte, of them singing that song. It brought me such pure joy to see him celebrated spontaneously by those people in that moment. And I I, I have it on repeat. I keep watching it. I just remember my mother, if he would come on TV, my mother, oh, oh, she would get the, va- she would get the vapor. She had to sit down she just, <laughs> and she would, you know, she and her friends would just, oh, he's just the handsomest man on the planet. He just was. And he was, I mean, you just can't get over the fact that he just, he looked like that and he was just smart and funny and he was a great actor and a great singer and a great humanitarian and just a great person there's one little quote that was in the new york times obituary which he was speaking to kind of downplaying his artistry and his calypso music not being necessarily it was criticized at the time for not being pure and this was his response and i love this in all aspects of life that purism is the best cover-up for mediocrity he told the new york times in 1959 if there's no change, we might just as well go back to the first UG, which must have been the first song. But think of that as it applies to politics, drag, new ideas. Like People are so afraid, but, but purism, which people value, is mediocrity. It's not growing. It's not that learning. Sense. And, and everybody beautiful? these days having to pass purity tests for their you know online fans, it yep. is a sign of mediocrity, right? Mm-hmm. Rest in power, Harry Belafonte. Number three, James. Number three. Number three, I've been on a kick on Turner Classic Movies um, watching movies that I know could never be made today for a multitude of reasons. And I was watching Clockwork Orange over the weekend and just thinking there's no way in hell you could do a Clockwork Orange. They would sanitize the violence. They would hire someone like Austin Butler to play the lead character. It just would not work. Um, One of the movies that I just really blew me away, and we've talked about this on the show before, is Ode to Billy Joe the 1970s movie starring um, Glennis Johns and um, Robbie Benson. And it's based on the Bobby Gentry song from the 1960s, Ode to Billy Joe. And it tells what happened the day that Billy Joe McAllister jumped off the Tallahatchie Bridge. And 
the story is is that teenage lovers Robbie Benson, Billy Joe McAllister, and his girlfriend Bobby Lee, played by Glennis, um, they're in love in this old Mississippi. It's the old South, 1950s, repressive times, poor town, and they haven't consummated their relationship yet. And one day, Billy Joe, there's a town social, and Billy Joe gets too drunk and disappears for three days, and nobody can find him. And when she finally find when um, Bobby Joe finally finds Billy Joe in a clearing in the woods, he's disheveled. He's still drunk. He's fucked up. He's he's sobbing. He's crying. He's he's upset about something. And she finally talks talks him down. And you know, and finally he says, "I had sex with someone that night that I got I got so drunk." And she says, "Who, Bobby Joe?" And he says, "A man. I had sex with a man, and she, in an older man, it, as it turns out, an older man has had sex. Ian and Billy Joe have had sex, and he's sobbing and sobbing, saying that he, you know, he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know. And now she says, I'm getting the vapors. <laughs> well, Bobby Joe, Bobby Lee says, you know, obviously he took advantage of you. It was rape." And this is the climax of the movie, and he just breaks down and goes on his knees, and he said, no, I wanted it, and I liked it. And that sort of, at that moment, he realizes that he can never go back to who he was before, and there's no way in 1950s Mississippi backwoods that he can be an out gay man, and he jumps off the Tallahatchie Bridge and kills himself. Well, and the thing is, first of all, you can't make movies with tragic homos anymore. That's just something that that's a, a trope that is is not allowed. Uh, you know that you can't have you know suicidal homosexuals because they're gay. Blah 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 blah. But other than that, the interesting thing is on IMDb the comments section. It is from the 1990s up until about 10 years ago. It's all feeling sorry for Billy Joe McAllister and how, you know, this, this poor gay boy couldn't be himself, blah, 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 blah. But starting around Me Too, it's the the conversation is the, di- the difference in dynamic of the power between the older man and the younger man. Mm-hmm. Billy Joe was raped. Billy Joe had no... Um, uh, uh, he had no say in the matter. Da, 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 da. And everybody... The way people look at the difference in older men and younger men, how every, every line is groomer, groomer, pedophile, pedophile. The, he, the, he, you know, this old man groomed him and, you know, da, da, da. and that's so the point of the movie is that's not what happened. That Billy Joe wanted, whether Billy Joe was bisexual, whether he was a horny teen who just did it once or whether he was gay, he'll never know. And we'll never know. But if from the eyes of young people watching the movie now, there's just not that's not even a question. It's just groomer, pedophile, da 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 da. da. But wow. I just want to say that there has never been a boy more beautiful than Robbie Benson. <laughs> Robbie Benson, still to this day in his sixties, is the handsomest man on the planet. Just just type in Robbie Benson now into your Google search. I love that song. I know about that movie. Played at all the drive-ins when I was growing up, but I didn't go. I wasn't old enough. Does he wear cut-off denim shorts by chance? No, I think he 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 wear he he dresses very. Uh, it will it, it will take you back, Tom. I don't know if you if you've ever lived in a small town. It, it this yes, and it, it doesn't have to be small Mississippi town. I grew up in the South. I know those towns. I remember. I we had a ranch. 
in Mariana, Florida, that was had you know. Are there any overall without shirts? Any overall? Yeah, dirt, but it was dirt roads, and it was those old bridges, you know, over the like those old timey Civil yeah. War era bridges. Yeah, it's just a right. spectacular movie. I'm sorry, I, we bored Fenton. I'm sorry. No, you d- absolutely didn't. It's absolutely fascinating. I I was just thinking that the shift in the comments. There's a show in that, like the way you don't necessarily see the movie. It's the shift in the the way that something is evaluated. Like yes, the the way that something is perceived. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, moving on, number two. Number two. Um, I just wanted to very quickly talk about another video game movie that I just saw last night. It's called the Super Mario Brothers movie. It was so good. I loved it. Um, I don't really love Chris Pratt, but he did very well as the voice of Mario. Well, wait a minute, because everyone was was saying, "How dare you get this?" Get Chris they said Pratt. that, and then they seen the movie, and now everyone's okay. Well, okay. I mean, yeah. What can you do about it? He did, and it, does it's he talk on, like a spicy meatball? Does he do it's the gone on to make thing? a ton of money? Like I'm sure there's going to get a second, a sequel. He did say "Mamma Mia," James. <laughs> Okay, okay. Yeah. Is it like the Lego movies that it like works on two levels for the kids on the one hand and then for the sort of jaded postmodern people? I think it does. The story's a little schlocky. Blake doesn't Blake doesn't understand two levels to movies. He only watches the kid level. No yeah. offense. No offense. Your 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 wide eye innocence is what makes you so attractive to me. I know. That's what makes me the Debbie Matinopolis of this show. <laughs> <laughs> um it was really good. It didn't just like incorporate the characters of Super Mario Brothers, though. Like Donkey Kong was there. I even got to see Trixie Kong, who was like the little one with the long ponytail. She's really nice. cute. Benson, um, have either of your sons seen this? Yes, Jazz took Elliot to the to the premiere. So Elliot, who's age eight, had his first red carpet experience. Wow, he loved it. But um, didn't it do way better than they expected it I think to? It has. It's doing yeah. gangbusters. Yeah, but I think that if no one and Elliot gone to the Universal um, Mario Brothers not yet land, no. that needs no. to be a summer thing, doesn't it? Yeah. Have you gone, Blake? No, I want to. I just don't want to pay $150 to just do that, though, you know? Right, right. So, but I think it's coming to Peacock. Oh, fantastic. I think. So, um, we'll see. Well, maybe oh. Billy could take us all. Remember when Billy used to take us to, to Universal? Yes, he would. Maybe uh-huh. he will. In maybe Billy will pay for us all to go to Mario Brothers Land. <laughs> Because the great thing about Universal, you buy a ticket, and actually, I think the price of a ticket for another day or in the entire summer, it's basically free. So well, you're... it used to be a really good deal until yeah. they got the Harry Potter world, and then the prices shot up, and now oh. you know, right? Yeah. All right, let's take one more break, and when we come back, we'll reveal the number one thing this week that made us go wow. wow. Welcome back to Bar Report. Fenton here with Tom, James, Blake, and we've reached number one. Number one. Number one uh, is the big reveal, an illuminated manifesto of drag by our very own Sasha Velour. It's a new book that just hit the bookstores and uh, Walton Books 
Is there still a Walden Books? There's not Walden. Uh, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, wherever you get your where books. all books are sold. Yes, it's Tasha's personal journey through drag as well as her autobiography. It's also the history of drag going back fifteen thousand years, Mesolithic <laughs> era. That's uh, a lot to um, pack into one book. <laughs> yeah, uh, from the uh, I have it right here. The the uh, Mesolithic era rituals of South Asia and Central Siberia. It also tells of the Zuni people of the Southwest United States, the Ingonoma people of the Zulu nations, the trans the transmasculine warriors of the Tipahami people of Brazil in the 16th century. There are the Greek and Roman myths. There are the Mali houses of London in the 18th century. There's the 20th century Julian Eltange, who was RuPaul before RuPaul. She lists every drag moment, every trans moment, every two-spirit moment that has mm. ever happened on the planet. And she does it all with grace and wit and style. And there's some fun little graphic novel cartoons wow. of her in the beginning and end. That was a great gonna... review from James St. James. Wow. I saw Tom flip through it and I saw that there were nice pictures in it as well. So. Pictures yes. and notes. It's annotated. It's very beautiful. I, I have to say, the amazing thing about draggers are the queens and how different they all are. But if there was going to be a real drag university, a real drag you, it would be run by Dean Sasha Valour. She is the intellectual queen for sure. Yes. And That's- Professor Emeritus Tom Campbell. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I do think in this and Apparently, time- Fenton has had some pro- professorial experience as well. Yeah, he can help out. No, my internet's a bit wonky. But in this time of the drag... Uh, the Drag Danger Panic. I just think it's such a great book to have the big yeah. reveal showing that drag is as old as humanity itself. Yes, exactly. Hallelujah. You. And you guys, if you're really, really good, I'm going to try to get Sasha Valore to come on to the show. And Please. I would love to talk to yeah. her about this book. Yes. Okay. Do you know that Sasha Valore worked as a part-time security guard at the Russian State Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg? I did know that, and um, uh, I have. It has always been my dream to spend mm. a month at the Hermitage and just yes. go bananas over. I mean, some of the most amazing art on the planet is there. The Fabergé eggs alone. <laughs> Speaking of beautiful art, I like to show off my uh, bullshit paddle, uh, a, a prop left over from All Stars season two reunion. It's a gorgeous emoji. It's a glittery turd. Two sided. It's ready for television, people. A polished turd. It's a polished turd. Thanks for tuning into the Wear Report on Radio Andy Sirius XM. Previous episodes on our YouTube channel, Wow Presents, with all the mistakes and some extra bits in, and you can see us on screen. Same time, same place next week. Until then, go out and do something that makes the world go. Wow.